0: Our first message today will be by Mr. Ash Noland entitled Sitting in Judgment. <coughs> Sorry. In the nineteen forties or about, during and shortly after the uh, uh, World War II. There a couple of ladies that made a significant impact upon uh, um, all the rest of psychology ever since then. They were Isabel Myers and her mother, Catherine Briggs. They developed a self-reporting uh, personality type inventory uh, based on the work of Carl Jung and um, uh, his study of personality types, um, uh, which featured four distinct that. Uh, Four dichotomies that, that, uh, together, make up an individual's personality profile. There's the introvert-extrovert dipole, which identifies the source of our energy and how we interact with the world around us. There's the sensing-intuition dipole that relates to how we gather information. The thinking-feeling dipole, which describes how we make decisions. And the perceiving-judging dipole indicating how we relate to the external world. It's that last dipole that I want to focus upon today. So, what does it mean to be a judge? That's a good question. The recent confirmation hearings of now Justice uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, the Supreme Court to replace retiring Justice Stephen Breyer have raised to our consciousness just what it means to be a judge. So has the recent scandal involving uh, Justice Clarence Thomas not recusing himself in the light of disclosure of the involvement of his wife Virginia Thomas uh, in the January 6 2001 insurrection and attack on the capitol as a result of which we discovered something there's no written code of ethics for the um, Supreme Court justices all the other uh, lower churches uh, uh, ch- uh, sorry was uh, all the other lower courts have a um, written code of ethics for each one of the justices uh, as guidelines. But there's no such moral guidelines for the Supreme Court justice. Rather, each one is left to his own discretion, um, supposedly having the maturity and the conscience to rescue himself, uh, to recuse himself at at the appropriate time. All our lower courts have formal written guidelines, not the Supreme Court. Uh, Justices on the high court are deemed scrupulous enough to be Self-regulating. So, what does it mean to be a judge, anyway? A judge is essentially an evaluator. One who evaluates how well something complies to a set standard. So, the act of judging itself uh, implies the existence of a standard. Do you realize that? The act of judging itself implies the existence of the standard of conformity against which the item is measured. While the consequences are often attributed to the item's uh, compliance with the standard, those consequences are not necessarily part of the judging process. It is the process of judging, a process of evaluation that makes something judge, judged or not. Also, a judge can is often cast in the role of an arbitrator, one who mitigates between two different parties. Further, whether we are judges or not, Depends largely on our personalities, okay? uh, our personality. for That tendency is a natural part of some personalities, but completely foreign to others. Teachers, for example, are inherently judges. It's part of the job description. Okay? We have to evaluate things. In contrast, receivers observe the world around them, taking note of every intricate detail, but without passing judgment on that observation. These people tend to be a little bit more accepting of diversity and open to differences as expressions of uh, various viewpoints. Scripture does, indeed, encourage us to develop righteous judgment. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it does. Um, To discern the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong, between truth and lies, between humane and the cruel, between empathy and apathy, between greedy self-interest and charity. For as Paul tells us in his letters to the Corinthians, we shall all be judged as angels, uh, we shall all judge angels as well as fellow human beings. Let's turn there, if you will. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 3. Okay, there uh, any of you, having a matter against uh, another, Goes to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? However, judging does not encourage our being judgmental while doing so. Um, abusing that God-given authority to execute His will, the ancient Assyrians and Babylonians did exactly that. Do you recall that story? Uh, Israel became, um, let's see, disobedient. Shall we, say, for lack of a better word, and needed chastisement. They needed uh, realigning with God's purpose. So He first brought in the Assyrians, and then later the Babylonians as uh, chastening rods to whip them back into shape, if you will. But the, as both the Assyrians and the Babylonians abuse that God-given authority that uh, he had g- given to them as his chastening rod. And they, uh, they hurt the uh, uh, Israelites uh, unjustly so. They punished them unjustly. Uh, now, neither does it empower us to subject sinners to derision. For, as Romans 3.23 says, we have all... All sin then comes short of the glory of God. Further, 1 John uh, 1, 8 through 10 says, uh, he claims that anyone who claims that he hasn't sinned, that he commits no sin, a liar. Let's look at that passage. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, uh, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Rather, let us walk humbly and remember that there before the grace of God go I, there but for the grace of God go I. Let us not inflict a cruel or unusual punishment for the misdeeds of another. Abandoning, the, that's one of the things that I have always puzzled me. Why do people be so judgmental? They abandon a brother just at the time he needs it the most. He abandons a brother just at the time when he needs it the most. Too often, we become too quick to judge another without hearing his point of view, his perspective on the issue. Rather, let us lift up the brother in love during this time of trial and need. Just show some compassion, folks. It's always asking, but warning. It will take time, and it will take much patience. Let's look at Galatians 6, verses 1 through 3 first. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. James echoes the same idea um, in James five nineteen and 20. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from his error of his way shall save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Of course, it's easy to be judgmental if we've never experienced what the other person is going through. Often, we don't know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. We don't know what stress and inner turmoil he may be uh, enduring. For example, someone who has always lived in a stable marriage and family uh, may have difficulty empathizing with someone who is going through a divorce. Someone who has never smoked tobacco or marijuana doesn't understand the hold that those weeds have on him. The addict may be um, agonizing over his decision, fighting inner demons as he wars against carnal desires while knowing what is right. That's a tough spot to be in. You know what is right, but you find yourself doing exactly what you don't want to do anyway. Paul knew what it was. Romans 7, uh, 14-24, he recounts that uh, state of mind that he was in. Look at that one. This is a, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then, I do, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, there, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that's what I do. Can you imagine being in this kind of predicament, knowing that what you're doing is bad, but doing it anyway? But the evil that I will not do, that I practice. Now, if I, do, if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I find that a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am! Who would deliver me from my body of death? That's the state of mind. And we all are in that position, or most of us. Anyone here not sin? Okay. Instead, we need to assure our brothers that there is some way out of the trial that we're in facing, out of that difficulty. 1 Corinthians 10.13 provides us that assurance. Um, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not, be, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it." No, a judge is much more than someone who simply applies a rule of law without respect for contingencies. A judge tempers the law with compassion and humility, ruling accordingly. A robot could administer the law and execute judgment, but God wants more from us than that as a judge. So. What are the characteristics of a judge? Uh, I've given you a handout here so that you can see that. I've got a list on the lower left-hand side. There's a list of the things I consider to be appropriate for judges. First one is maturity, experience. You've got to know, you've got to have lived in order to be able to judge other people, right? Would everyone agree to that? There has to be some experience, some maturity to being a judge. Article... now. While that is true, there's no age requirement for us in the Constitution. Did you realize that? Article 3, Section 1, says that the judges are all, justices are all appointed uh, by the president himself. There's no age requirement, but the current ages uh, range from 52 to 82. National Public Radio and others uh, report that U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell, at age 33, went from being a law clerk to a lifetime appointment as district judge without ever having even tried a, course in a case in court. During her Senate confirmation process, the American Bar Association said that she was not qualified for the position uh, because she had not been practicing law long enough. The American Bar Association recommends that the nominees for federal judgeships have at least at least 12 years of experience practicing law, whereas Mizell was nominated for her current position only eight years after just passing the, the bar. Okay, so that's the first quote. You have got to have some experience, some, some maturity behind it. Wisdom is the next thing I would think is important. Uh, there are, are there any Solomons among us? Someone who's wise enough to make a, a, a life and death decision. Someone described, uh, 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 anyone know who Ken Jennings is on Jeopardy and other places like that? Okay. Well, he wants to describe the difference between knowledge and wisdom as knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Okay. So there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom requires experience in order to produce that. They should also have logical reasoning, that is to say rational thinking. They should recognize when an argument is flawed. If they can't recognize a flawed argument, they have no business being a judge. Uh, They should have um, discernment and insight, that is to say the ability to see the true nature of a person or um, a situation. Okay. Um, intuition is another characteristic. That is, knowing something without, with certainty, but without having sense data to back it up. You just know it to be true. That's intuition. Okay. Uh, there should be a sense of fairness and proportionality between an event and its uh, consequences. You don't give the same punishment to a guy who jaywalks and a guy who commits mass murder. There should be a sense of proportionality between the crime and the punishment. Empathy and compassion. This is one characteristic that uh, we need to see in our judges. Uh, that is the ability to feel with a person and and, and wish to alleviate his suffering. Mr. Williams did a, a message a few um, months, I guess now, Back about the difference between empathy and compassion and sympathy and, and the, uh, how they work together. You might go back and listen to that message, if you will. I'm going to bring something similar in, in the near future. Uh, you've got to be, have the ability to weigh mitigating factors. What kind of things would influence his decision? Are there extenuating circumstances that may have caused him to do something that he shouldn't otherwise do? The ability to draw a conclusion. Okay, you've got all this data, all this information here. You need to be able to draw a conclusion about what's happening in the process. And once you draw the conclusion, then you need to be able to make a decision and to justify it with uh, case law or the like. And uh, lastly, among my, ca- my characteristics, are con- is consistency. You need to be consistent. Don't do one thing for one person and something completely different for another. This is fairness. This is natural things you would expect from a judge. Just as important, though, is what a judge should do, is also what he should not do. Okay, He should not have certain traits. They should not be fickle or whimsical, easily swayed. Uh, They should not be impulsive or hasty. They should not be biased or partial. The whole slew of scriptures on How God hates partiality. I'm going to get into some of those in a moment. They should not be consumed with self-interest. Self-interest, what they can do for me. They should not be susceptible to bribery or blackmail. That sounds like a fairly concise list. Too bad we don't have that today in many, many cases. We've got some great judges. We've also got some that do not deserve the robes that they are wearing. People appointed to the role of judge, but who have these negative traits are likely to administer injustice instead of regular justice. Their motives are not pure. Instead of conscientiously um, serving God and the people, they may have a more self-motivated, self-centered motivation. We talked about self-centeredness in the the little workshops we've been doing recently. They may seek self-aggrandizement or enrichment. They may take bribes. They may love the limelight and the attention. They may enjoy the prestige and power that they exercise over others. They may enjoy the indebtedness of others for favors that they may show. They may want to have an impact on the future. Those are kinds of motivations for the judges that are not keeping with Scripture. Jesus saw such behavior and motivation in the scribes of his day, and he warned against them. Look at Luke 20, verses 46 and 47. Beware the scribes who dare, who desire to go around in long robes, that's the prestige they're telling about, love greetings in the marketplace, that, uh, the, the best seats in the synagogue, and the best places at the feast, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive a greater condemnation. Such actions are directly contrary to the will of God and His expressed discretion. Now I'm going to go through some characteristics about how God loves justice and what He expects us to have. Isaiah 61.8 For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth. I will make uh, with them an everlasting covenant. In Deuteronomy 32:3 and 4 we find for I uh, this is this is Moses speaking here I believe for I proclaim the name of the Lord I uh, uh, ascribe greatness to our God he is the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a god of truth and without injustice righteous and upright Upr- upright is he God, indeed, God gives us specific commands about the administration of justice, about those same, but those same injunctions apply not just to the justices, but they should apply to all of us. They should apply to all of us. Um, It is effectively a written code of ethics, a written code of ethical conduct for all of us. Uh, We find it in Exodus 23, uh, verses 1 through 9. Listen to these and see if you can agree with them. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. That's really against the poor man, partiality against the poor man. Uh, if you meet your enemy 's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under his burden and you would refrain from helping it and you sh- uh, helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of the poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from the false matter. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous for i will not justify the wicked and you you shall not and you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the discerning and, and perverts the words of the righteous also you shall not oppress a stranger for stranger means someone who is a foreigner to your country for you know the heart of the stranger because you were strangers in the land of egypt God, through Moses, establishes a judicial system and sets forth the norms for his judges. We find those norms in Deuteronomy 1, verses 15 to 7. Moses is speaking in this case. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifty, leaders of ten, and officers for your tribe. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge uh, righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. Did you hear that? The judgment is God's. It's not the man who's sitting on the bench. He's just the the vessel, the instrument through which it's administered. And then Moses says, If any case is too hard for you, bring it to me, and I will hear it. Since Moses could not hear all the cases uh, before him, he delegated that judgment to lower courts with admonition to the judges for its execution. We find that a little later in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 to 20. You shall, not, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord uh, God gives you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall show. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for your bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. See, that's the reason for the bribe. The bribe distorts the the truth. Okay, You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God has given you. Unfortunately, we don't have that situation. Uh, with egocentric human, be- human nature being what it is, that authority is often abused and results in the litigious, litigious society of Jesus' day, which has carried forward into the present. Would everyone agree? Well, Uh, there's too many lawyers on TV. Okay, always uh, the heavy hitter and all the rest of these that are out there. Hmm. And it, it seems that we are trying, if you will, to gain a fortune through the legal abuse of someone else through the law itself. This doesn't seem right to me. Okay, Okay. Romans 2.11 says, There is no partiality with God. Plain and simple, as straightforward as you can get. Acts 10.34 says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, I, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That is to say, he is no respecter of persons. That's the King James Version of what it is. As long as self-centered human nature exists there will be those people who are not content to work within the bounds of the law who will commit crime as a shortcut to prosperity. And the law, intended to protect the poor and the innocent, will be abused by the rich and powerful for excessive gain. Hauling others before the magistrates for any infraction of the law if there's any possibility of a profit for such an action. Ideally, we would be, be we would self-police. We would make amends for the wrongs that we may have done to others on our own, without having to bring it before the magistrates, without having to bring our brothers before the judges, we would, without having to bear, if you will, the whip of litigation to enforce the, the, the restitution. However, ours is far from an ideal world. Rather, it is one filled with injustice and unresolved infractions against one another, with unequal punishments for equal crimes, with bias and impartiality and justice, where those who are rich can uh, uh, can hire cunning and crafty lawyers who will circumvent the intent of the law and self-aggrandizing politicians can pardon their wicked cronies for a profit or for favor. In contrast, true justice swiftly chastises the wicked, protects the innocent, and shows compassion to the beleaguered. A righteous judge must be able to walk a mile in someone else's shoes and judge accordingly. That ability to walk a mile in someone else's shoes was one of the reasons that Christ became God incarnate. He wanted to know what it was like to experience humanity firsthand, to know what it's like to be human. Uh, turn to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. This is always encouraging to me. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Indeed, the central pillar of judgment must be compassion with appropriate mercy shown for mitigating circumstances, without which justice becomes nothing more than a dispensary of punishment. Can you imagine facing a Christ who is just a judgment, a dispenser of punishment, a Christ without compassion? Someone who might say, I lived a sinless life, why didn't you? I don't want to face that kind. I'd rather have the merciful God that we do in to um, serve. I'd rather meet with a compassionate elder brother who could understand my trial and forgive me of my weaknesses. Likewise, we should not be hasty to pass judgment or swift to punish. Rather, judgment must consider motive, intent, and mitigating circumstances. Do we condemn equally one who steals? out of hunger, and one who exploits workers for profit? Do we condemn those equally? Jeremiah 22, 13 and 14 says, Woe to him who builds uh, his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service through without wages, and gives him nothing for his work, who says, I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and pan- painting it with vermilion. And exploit the workers that are underneath him for his own gain. In uh, chapter 4 of the same uh, of the epistle of James, uh, we just studied this recently. James condemns such wor- worldliness. James 4, verses 1 and 2 says, why do you fight and argue with each other? Isn't it because you are full of selfish desires that fight to control your body? You want something you don't have. And you will do anything to get it. You will even kill. But you still cannot get what you want. And you, will, and you won't you will get it by fighting and arguing. You should pray for it. James 4, a little bit later uh, down, says, uh, My friends, don't... This is James 4, verses 11 and 12. My friends, don't say cruel things about others. If you do, um, or if you condemn others, you are condemning the law of God, or God's laws. Condemning law is God's law. And if you condemn the law, you put yourself above the law and refuse to obey either it or God who gave it. God is our judge, and he can save or destroy us. What right do you have to condemn anyone? Paul advised Timothy against being hasty in judgment. Look at this in, in 1 Timothy 5, 19-22. Do not receive an, an accusation against, uh, against an elder brother, except from two or three witnesses, those who are sinning uh, rebuke in the presence of all, that they may also fear. He's talking about the rest of the congregation. You, you make an... Uh, an example of them, so the rest of the congregation doesn't do, do the same thing. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Rather, good judgment requires Wisdom and discernment. Those are two things that a good judge needs among others. Um, James 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show uh, by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have a bitter enemy, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything, evil thing, are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, wi- willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. In a democracy, each of us is a judge. Our vote is our judgment. So when we vote, we must judge the issue or the candidate against the standard of righteousness, against the touchstone of truth and compassion. We have district courts, we have appeals courts, Supreme Court composed of our nine justices appointed by the President and confirmed by the Senate of a lifetime appointment. So let's say... They could remain impartial. They don't have to be worried about the next election and getting reelected because they've got a lifetime appointment. That was the purpose behind it with the Founding Fathers. Hence, their influence is not simply incidental to a specific case, but it is generational. It applies to an entire group. In antiquity, the king was the ultimate authority, since they brought issues to Solomon. Um, and the, and the old adage was, the land and the king are one. Britain's justice system was founded upon that one principle. The land and the king is one. So, as goes the king, so goes the land. Thus, having a wise and consistent king was crucial to the success of a nation. We have the best pr- king, priest, and judge that is possible in Jesus, who took on flesh, at great peril to himself, just to know firsthand what it was like to be human, so that he could empathize with us and all the trials that we go through. Closing scripture, James 2, uh, verses 9 and then 12 through 13, 2-9 uh, says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors, 12 and 13 says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So yes, be the judges that or we are being trained to be. But judge wisely and with compassion.